Uh, Pastor Steve uh, sends you greetings this morning. He really, really wanted to be here, but you're stuck with me. I'm sorry about that. You know, he was preaching for two weeks, and he talked, uh, he spoke 13 times over the last two weeks. So, of course, he was here in the office eagerly working on his sermon. He had it ready, but then his throat started to fail. Uh, and so Friday morning, he called me and said, hey, uh, would you just be prepared just in case I cannot make it on Sunday? Uh, would you be willing to preach the sermon that you're preaching in the third service in Spanish uh, to the congregation? Since I was already, pre I'm starting a new sermon series in Spanish that is called uh, The Achievements of Faith. And so I say, well, okay, let me get it ready. And then he says, okay, I'll tell you tomorrow. So on Friday we pray, and I was eagerly praying, Lord, please let Pastor Steve come back. Please heal him, Lord, I beg you. I offer my life to you. Please do so. But the Lord is, works in amazing ways. And so, Pastor Steve, say, I am so sorry. I will not be able to make it on Sunday. So, okay. So, okay. So, that it is what it is. So, this message is attributed to the call of Pastor Steve. If this message, message blesses you today, it's Pastor Steve's fault. Okay? If this message doesn't bless you today, it's Pastor Steve's fault. You've been warned. An Amazing Faith is the title of this message. And I want to start with a question to all of you. What do you think amazed Jesus when he was on earth? What do you think caused his surprise and amazement as he walked the streets of Jerusalem and Palestine during his time? After all, he participated in the creation of everything he saw. No reality of the natural world could surprise him, even if he had come across things that surprised us humans, like, I didn't know if you knew that Venus is the only planet that spins clockwise. Science says that it's probably uh, upside down, and that's the reason why, or that perhaps you didn't know that wearing your headphones for just an hour could increase the bacteria in your eyes, by se in your ears, by 700 times. Ew. <laughs> Have a good workout tomorrow. <laughs> or that McDonald's sells spaghetti in the, in the Philippines. Who would thought about that? Surprising. We could think that Jesus was surprised at the wickedness of the human heart. After all, he was a perfect human being. So seeing the sin that affected not only the people but his followers, he might have been surprised. But it was not like that because John 2.24 says that he did not trust people because he knew the human heart. What then could surprise Jesus. It's something you wouldn't expect it. But the Bible clearly says that Jesus was amazed when he found faith in people. When he saw people who really show deep faith, he was amazed. And this is still true today. So it makes me wonder, I pose the question to myself, if Jesus is amazed by faith, is he amazed by my faith this morning? 
Is he amazed by this church people's faith? Today I want us to go together to an example of a man who truly amazed Jesus because of his faith. And we will also look at two things that can steal that faith that the Lord wants us to have. The reading is Matthew chapter 8 verse 5 through 10 and then verse 13. And I'm going to ask you to help me read verse 10 when we get there. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, I always have a hard time saying that, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, listen to this, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are. And my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers. And I have authority over my soldiers. And I only need to say, go and they go. Or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. Read it with me. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, go back home. Because you believed it has happened. And the young servant was healed that same hour. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus told his disciples that, the faith of a mustard seed could move mountains. And here we see an example of that faith. Now the Bible is full of ironies. Things that you don't expect them. But this is one of them. The centurion was a Roman military officer. He was not a Jew. He was in charge of a group perhaps of 60 or 80 people in spite of his name. And he was in charge of maintaining the Roman power with the conquered people such as Palestine at that time. So when I was thinking about this, I thought, how can I explain this to the church that they can understand better? So I thought about this. Imagine for a moment that Jesus and his followers were Mexicans living in the United States. And the centurion was an agent of the immigration service. And then you have an idea of the type of relationship that could exist between them. What, what we would expect is a confrontation between Jesus and this Roman officer. You would expect that they will not be friends, that they will not talk to each other, but rather we see an example of what Jesus was most looking for and what he couldn't find in his own people. He turned around to the followers who were behind him and told them, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. What we can learn from this is that the power of God is available to anyone. If a man like the Roman centurion could see just like such a great miracle from Jesus, then let me tell you something. There is no person on earth who could not have the same experience. Your level of education, your race, 
your past, or any other aspect of your life have nothing to do with the power that Jesus can work in your life if you believe. But what was exactly the thing that surprised Jesus about the faith of this man? Let's get a little deeper together, would you? First, in your outline, the centurion understood the power and authority of Christ. The centurion understood the power and authority of Christ. He believed that Jesus could do what he needed. I'm going to tell you something out of my heart. And I tell you as a pastoral, in a pastoral way, where many of us fail is in this very simple point. Sometimes we have to be honest to admit that we really don't believe that God can work powerfully in our lives. Sometimes we have to face the truth that we are not convinced that he has the power to transform us. Yes, we have not stopped supporting the basic doctrines of our faith. Yes, we, we, some, we, we, don't, we, we do not stop believing and, and, and saying and declaring, but somewhere along the way, we have stopped believing that God wants to work here and now, today. Some have gone as far as to say that Jesus is no longer healing that Jesus is no longer doing miracles at this present age. When people suffer, when people are going through hard times, they say, well, Jesus is interested in the afterlife. He will no longer heal you today. But listen, people, the centurion didn't have years of theological studies. He had not the advantage of going to Sunday school every Sunday. And he surely probably couldn't recite many Bible verses or define the doctrine of the Trinity. But he was sure of one thing, that he knew that Jesus had the power to work in his life. And he came to the right person Believing in faith. There is something amazing that happened when God's people have this prompting of faith we see throughout the Bible. This is not on, you, on, the, on the screen. But let me tell you, as I was studying in my desk this morning before preaching, James 5, 17. Now, when I read this verse, I'm going to tell you something out from. When I read this verse, I just got really disappointed. Okay? So, here it is. James 5, 17. This is honest honest declaration for me. Listen to this. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. That's what disappointed me. <laughs> but listen what it says. And he prayed fervently that it may not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain and the earth before be, uh, the air bore its fruit. Elijah if you have gone to church for a long time, you sure know who was Elijah. He was a powerful man of God that one day he had had enough. The people of Israel, the people who were supposed to believe in God were worshiping and giving their lives to pagan idols and gods. And he said, enough is enough. We are going to pray, and we're going to do a sacrifice, and the real God will show himself by sending fire from heaven. Tell me if that is not faith 
of a man believing in God. And sure enough, the, the other 400 prophets of Baal, the Bible says, did their sacrifice and put everything in place. And then they started singing songs and they started claiming to their pagan gods. And then uh, Elijah was upset and he was just mocking them and making fun of them. And he would say, well, uh, where is your God that he hasn't responded? I want to I see where is your God. Is he taking a nap? Maybe he's a Mexican God. You know, we take, we take naps. I'm sorry to say that. And the people were praying to their God and nothing happened. And then he said, well, maybe he went to the restroom. It's in the Bible. I'm not making this up. It's in the Bible. Maybe he went to the restroom. And then the, since they couldn't respond, they started like hurting themselves. Like if this is going to bend the arm of their pagan God. And, and then he said, okay, that's it. Now it's my turn. Bring the, bring the sacrifice and pour water four times. Make sure that everything is so wet. And then he prayed to the God of heaven, God, show these people your great power that you are God in fire. Came down from heaven. That is the power of our God today. Can you praise him in the house? Yes. That is the type of God we worship. Are you with me today? But the next day, the very next day, he was running for his life, afraid. What? Peter, the Lord is praying and said, hey, I'm going to be praying. You go in the boat and I'll meet you there. And then the Lord goes and spends the night prayer. And then, of course, it's already like 3 or 4 in the morning. There's no boats to take. So Jesus does what he can only do, walk on the water. And he starts walking on water trying to get to his disciples. But this time, there is wind and sea rocking out the boat. And then the disciples who, by the way, were full of faith, see a man walking on the water. And they say, we're going to die. We have faith that we're going to die. Because they saw a ghost. They said, that's a ghost. And Jesus said, no, no, it's me, Jesus. And then Peter has a prompting of faith. And he says, if it's really you, command me to go. Now, let me ask you a question. What if he hadn't been Jesus? <laughs> Peter goes out of the boat and, bye, Peter. It was good to see you. We wish you would have said that. Promptings of faith. And then he goes on to say, he goes into the water and starts walking. But then he was a man with a nature like us. And he starts doubting. And then he says, Lord, save me. Peter. Jesus is talking to his disciples one day. And he says, hey, who do the people say that I am? And then one says, oh, you're Elijah. And somebody says, you are John the Baptist. And, and they're saying, you're like in the spirit of Moses. And then Peter has a prompting of faith. And he says, no, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies to him and says, Peter, this couldn't have been revealed to you by men. It is my father who gave you this revelation. But then a few, a few uh, verses further down that Bible reading. Jesus says, I'm going to go and die, but I will resurrect the third day. 
And then Peter take, called him out and said, no, 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 no. I rebuke you. This will never happen to you. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You do not know the things of God. The same men that had this prompting of faith, Elijah, Peter, other people in the New Testament. This is what James said. They were just like us with the difference of something important. God is looking for faith in his children. The centurion didn't have years of theological studies, as I say, but he knew that God could do it. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you want God to work in your life? Do you want him to transform the situation that you haven't seen transform? Do you want God to work in your church? Do you believe in his power? Do you want to overcome that addiction that habit that is hindering your life from becoming what God wants you to become. This can only happen, I assure you, if you believe. There's power when God's people believe. There was another surprising thing about the centurion. It's in your outline. He humbled himself before the authority of Christ. He said, Lord... I am not worthy to have you come into my, ha- my home. Now, when we talked about faith, it's extremely important to understand that biblical faith and humility go hand in hand. Today, there are many who ignore the, or hide the importance of humility. You only have to turn on the television to hear people that say, God wants to give you a new car, a bigger house, and more money. If you just declare it, declare it by faith, and the Lord is going to do it. It sounds very attractive. In fact, who wouldn't like to have these things? But the problem is that that kind of supposed faith lacks humility. The presumption of telling God what he's going to do is incredible. To think that we are going to walk carelessly into the presence of the king of the universe and dictate the conditions of a relationship to him is just a ridiculous idea. True faith is submissive. If we want to see success in our faith, we have to submit first to the authority of Christ. This is what Satan wants us to forget. He wants you to forget and he wants us to suspect things from God that God is not going to do. Because then when he doesn't do them, we will feel disappointed. We will stop trusting God and we may depart our faith. But the truth and the real truth, people, is that God wants to do great things for us, in us, and through us. Do you believe that this morning? But we have to be willing. We have to be willing to let him do what he wants to do. Rather than thinking that we can dictate the terms of the deal. The centurion had this kind of faith. And he saw great achievements as a result. So what do you want God to do in your life? Perhaps you're ready to step in faith to overcome the weakness, the sin, the bondage that you had been. Maybe do you really believe that God can deliver you from these things? If you don't believe it, you will not see the victory. 
And so there is a fight between the people of God in the world and, and what I call the thieves of faith. I want us to go really, really quick. <clears throat> Matthew 8, 18 through 22. In the same chapter, just further down, we will find two thieves, thieves of faith. <clears throat> when Jesus saw, verse 18, the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. Would you read it with me, verse 19? Then one of the teachers of religious law said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. Another of his disciples said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me now. Let the spiritual dead bury their own dead. Here are two encounters, of, uh, two encounters that Jesus had. We see two people that are candidates of having faith and see the power of God at work. But they let something steal their faith. The first man is what I call a representation of the unknown territory where faith is required. The unknown territory where faith is required. It's vital. This teacher, the Bible says, knows the Bible per se. He knows the law. And when he says Jesus, he's so interested in his person. Who wouldn't be? That he goes on to say, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Please look at with me at the desire of this man to do that. Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus, who knows the heart of men, responds to him. And he said, foxes have dens to live in, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place even to lay his head. And because of this story, we know that the man left. What happened? Why didn't he follow Jesus when Jesus told him, I have no place to lay my head? Of course, Jesus was not, he was not saying he was a beggar. Of course, he didn't have much resources. But what Jesus is talking about here is that there are times in the Christian life, yes, there are times that even though you are following Jesus' steps and doing what he wants you to do, there are times where everything is going to be uncomfortable for you. The man surely thought, I will follow him. What is it to see with Jesus but miracles, but healing? If we are hungry and there's no food, I have seen him produce some delicious food. Amen. Everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be comfortable. And Jesus said, no, it's not going to be like that. There are nights that I don't know where I'm going to sleep. So I just sleep in the streets. And the man turned around and said, no, thank you. I can unfortunately... Identify with this man, following 
Jesus requires us to be uncomfortable. If there is something we don't like, it's to be uncomfortable. Physically, I mean, just a week in Chiapas doing mission trip. I'm from there, born there, raised there, and I was ready to come to the air conditioner. Praise the Lord. <laughs> we don't like to be uncomfortable. There are times where you walk with your faith into unknown territory. A person was saying, I, I pray to God as I received some bad news. So I came into my solitude to the, to the Lord. And as I watched the birds, I remember that the Lord said he will take care of them. And I had a feeling that everything was just going to be okay. But the next week, the news that they gave me were devastating. And I was on for a much longer ride that I anticipated. And so I said, what kind of answer to my prayer is that? Have you ever been there? Have you ever done what you're supposed to do? You come to church, you serve. You do everything you know that is in your power. And life around you is a mess. Yes. Paul said, we are pressed on every side, he said. Where you feel that you could not take another step. But you know, sometimes God has a special room. It's called God's waiting room. Pastor Steve will start. He was going to start that sermon series today. But you come in next Sunday. And here when God sends you to his waiting room. Time where you don't know what you're going to do. So there is a quote. That I put it on your outline. The wise men in the storm praise God not for safety from danger, but for deliverance from fear. And if I may add, and the strength to endure. In the midst of our tribulations when everything is crumbling around us and we don't understand what's, what, what is the Lord doing the one thing that can sustain us is our faith and believing that God is with us even in the midst of the storm. So we do not pray, Lord, deliver me from this, but we pray, Lord, give me strength so that nothing will steal the faith that you are searching and looking for me. The second man represents what I call the new way of thinking that is required to follow Jesus. The new way of thinking that is required to follow Jesus. Jesus said, let the spiritual dead bury their own dead. It seems like, I'm sure you've read this passage. Have you read it before? Jesus said, let the, spirit, let the, let the dead bury their own dead. And when you read this passage, you cannot avoid but think, why is Jesus being a little harsh on this declaration. Now, there's a lot of studies that have been done with this specific passage, and I'll give you only two. Some think that 
the, the father of this guy had recently passed away. And in Jewish culture, he needed to have the, the ceremony that goes for days. And he was ready to do that. And then after that, he was ready to go to follow Jesus. Jesus said, no, if you will follow me, you have to do it now at this very moment. Others think that the young man's dad was still not dead. He was probably sick, I don't know. But there was still a, a little while until the dad passed, and so the son couldn't leave the dad. Now, in Jewish culture, uh, to put this into context, it was not like in American culture. In Jewish culture, a guy could never leave his dad. Never until the dad passed away. If the dad said, you don't have my permission, it doesn't matter if the kid had 18 or 28 or 30 years of age. It was the dad, the ruler of the home. Like us, it's different. You know, 18 years old, goodbye, son. I love you so much. I'm free. I can spend my money in something else. <laughs> Hallelujah. This is what you might remember in Luke chapter 15. So, so let me tell you this. To leave one's dad in Jewish culture means to be left out with nothing. If a son would be, will dare to rebel against the authority of the father, the father really did this. He will call the people and say, my son is dead. And we'll do a funeral service. They will buy everything. We'll be, bring people to cry. And they will bury the son. Even when the son was in the corner watching his own burial. Because his dad took away his inheritance. This is what you may remember. In Luke chapter 15, when the prodigal son went and spent everything that he had, he had nothing else to eat. And he said, I will go back to my father because in my father's house there are many farmers working for him. And I will tell him, Father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Because he knew that this dad was going to say, you are no longer my son. You left my home. Therefore, you do not get nothing. But what happened in the Bible story? I just, I'm sorry, but I'm just so excited about this. When the father sees the man all like stinky with his clothing, the father goes and grabs his son by, and he hugs him and kisses him even though he's very stinky because he's been hanging around with pigs. Takes away his ring and puts it on his son, which was a symbol of father and son relationship. And the father declares and says, let's make a party because my son was dead, not gone. My son was dead, but now he is alive. My brothers and sisters, this young man said, Lord, I want to follow you, but I don't want to lose my income, my security, because I don't know about you, but it really feels good when you have good little money on your savings account, doesn't it? Feels good. When you have an emergency and a, you get a flat tire and you got money in the bank, just fix it. 
And when there's no money, oh, it feels good to have money. Lord, I'll follow you, but let me do my own thing in my own conditions. And so the faith is stolen from this young man who did not follow God. And let me tell you something to finish this morning. <clears throat> A renewing in our, our mind of our mind is required to follow Jesus. Romans 12.1 says that God wants us to renew our mind with his word so that we can find his will which is perfect and pleasing to us. A humbleness like the centurion is required to accept Jesus' teaching. And especially when it comes to with the, with the mind of the world, nothing in this world, people, listen to my heart, nothing of this world will bring you close to Jesus. As you exit out the doors of this church this morning and you go out into the world, nothing over there will invite you to follow Jesus. In fact, it will invite you not to follow Jesus. The reality of the world is different than the true reality of the people of God. And even 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, would you read it with me please? The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. So like Henry no one said, you don't think your way into a new kind of living. No, 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 no. You live your way into a new kind of thinking. The thinking of the people of God. Who are we, church? Who are we? We are people of faith. When people out there says, when people out there say it can't be done, we say with God all things are possible. When people out there are dying and said, my life is miserable, I cannot overcome. The people of God say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Faith is required. I started this message talking about the faith that amazed Jesus Christ. When he saw faith in the centurion, he did amazing works as well. He healed the servant. He said, go home, go home, because you believed. Your servant is healed. Christ said that there are many of those who believe themselves to be the children of God, that they will be rejected because their lack of faith, while many outsiders would join the kingdom, some would be victims of the thieves of faith. God wants to do amazing things in your life. He wants to do amazing things in your family. He wants to do amazing things in his church. The Lord is wanting to show his power. But there is only one requirement. Do you believe that he can do it? And if you do so, you will see great things. Are you willing to trust and see. Let us pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you this morning and we ask that you forgive us when we see the reality of the word only and we forget that we are called to be people of faith. Lord, there are great wonders and miracles that you can do if we believe. And so today, oh Lord, 
We come in the powerful name of Jesus to ask for the things that you know we're going through. And we pray that you raise and lift up people of faith that will go out into the world and declare, Lord, just say the word. You say the word and it'll be done according to your will. May you bless your people today as we fight against doubt and fear, as we trust in you. Yes, this so sweet to trust in Jesus. We praise you in beautiful name of Jesus. And everyone says, amen.